This podcast is supported by Audible. To find out how you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible, check out audibletrial.com slash lead. This is Keith Sawyer, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? My name is Keith Sawyer, and I'm a professor at Washington University in St. Louis. And I'm a psychologist who studies creativity and innovation. In particular, I'm focused on collaboration and group creativity. I've spent my life doing research on jazz ensembles and improvisational theater groups and business teams. It's really fun stuff. And, and for those of you that uh, fancy their innovation junkies like myself that fancy knowing a lot about it, particularly as it as it plays into that collaborating within organizations for innovation, uh, you guys, listeners, you probably owe a lot to Keith Sawyer, whether you know it uh, or not. Um, I've been studying it for several years now, and I keep he was one of the names that I keep seeing again and again and again. And I was I was shocked to find when I started reaching out um, for research for my own book that he was releasing um, something that previously I only really read in a in a more kind of academic text. That's the Explaining Creativity book, which I love, but isn't full of uh, a lot of exercises, things I can apply next day. And I found that he was working on a new book that is finally out. So I said we have to, we have to come on and talk about it, and that's ZigZag. And I, I worry that I just answered my own question for you, but I want to ask you, you spent a lot of time researching creativity. The, the research world owes a lot to that contribution, and now the practitioner world with this book, ZigZag, and with other books you've written before. But, but why write a book like ZigZag? Why write a, a practitioner-focused book, and why now? Well, thank you for those kind comments. Yes, the book Explaining Creativity, I wrote it in 2006. It was the first textbook overview of all of this great research Uh, from laboratories and in the field about how creativity works. And then I redid it, made it bigger, uh, more comprehensive in 2012, and that's the one you read. And it really is uh, probably the most comprehensive resource if you just want to read all the research about creativity. But but that's really designed to be like a college textbook, uh, and it's a little bit more academic. So after I finished that book, In particular, there are several chapters in there about the psychological research onto what goes on in the mind when people are being creative. And in Explaining Creativity, I collected all of that research into the eight steps of the creative process. Uh, So then after I finished that book, I thought, well, you know, uh, this would be interesting to a lot of people if I could put it into a a more useful, more practical, more hands-on format. Something that's, uh, yeah, more fun, really. Uh, something you can uh, engage with on a daily basis. Something where you can translate that research for those eight steps, those eight habits of mind, if you can translate that into your daily life. Uh, and I really believe that can help people be more creative. And and we keep circling around this, these terms of eight steps, eight stages, Eight elements, creative process. Uh, let's let's talk a bit about that before we dig into kind of what they are um, and how they are, are played out in zigzag. Let's talk a bit about how you arrived at that because I feel like, and one of the things I've appreciated from your work is I feel like there are a lot of different people that have their own methods and methodologies of here is the creative process or here is the design thinking process, et cetera. Where did these eight stages, eight steps, eight eight elements, um, eight practices? I, I that's I think the term you use a lot in zigzag that I really love is the eight these eight kind of practices or steps, where did, they, where did those come from? 
Oh, that's a great question. And the answer is that I actually did go through my own zigzagging creative process to come up with the format for this book that I call Zigzag. And the basic premise, the reason why I call it Zigzag, the basic idea is that the creative process is never linear. It never goes straight from a brilliant insight into a successful product. That you always have these twists and turns along the way. You have unexpected developments. You, where you end up is often something you never could have predicted or understood at the beginning of the process. So for me, this book, uh, actually I started working on it at some, at some level and in the back of my mind in 2007, right after my book Group Genius was published. And uh, I had this vague idea that I could take this research. I mean, it's a huge body of research. <laughs> Psychologists have been working on this for 50 years. And uh, so I had this vague idea I could take this research and uh, package it into some form where people could actually find it useful. I think the first version I came up with, there might have been 13 or 14 <laughs> uh, different practices. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have some colleagues who say there are five steps to the creative process. But what I did is I basically I went back to the research. And uh, I, in the process of writing Explaining Creativity, I basically read every journal article and every academic book monograph written by my colleagues. And I started putting everything in piles. Uh, and, you know, this research seems to kind of go with that research. And I just allowed things to emerge from examining the research. And gradually I began to realize the best way to organize all this research was basically into these eight piles. That there are basically eight different kinds of things your mind is doing, eight different sorts of behaviors that are associated with successful creativity. And and let's talk about those those eight different behaviors. And I think you uh, you you hit onto something especially that it's not that kind of linear process. I think too often we we want to have a nice uh, clear cut flow chart, but I'm sorry, you know, creativity innovation it doesn't work that way. Um, but let's talk about the different eight the eight stages, the eight steps that are in uh, the zigzag process a bit. Tell me kind of what they are and a little bit about them. Okay, yeah, the one problem with eight is that it's hard to get them all into one sentence. <laughs> That's a good point. So That's a good point. It's not a good sound bite. But maybe I'll just start with uh, the first one and tell you about the last one, and then we can wander around the middle a little bit. Uh, you know, that's kind of how it works in the real creative process anyway. So, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> right. So, you know, the basic point uh, of zigzag is that it's not a linear process. I call them eight steps, but they don't necessarily go one, two, three, four, all the way up to eight. Uh, the, so, But, you know, you have a book, and the book is a linear format, and you need to have chapters one through eight. So that's the way I organize the book. And the first chapter it basically often happens to be the beginning of a creative process. And I, all of my steps I have one syllable, simple words for, and the first one I call ask, which I define as uh, asking the right questions or formulating problems in the right way. Uh, you know, a lot of people, when they think about creativity, they focus on having good ideas or, you know, I have a problem, I need a really good idea to solve this problem. And they associate creativity with that flash of insight or maybe they associate creativity with brainstorming, where the goal is to generate as many ideas as possible. Uh, but all of that, I think, jumps a little bit too far ahead in the process. Uh, you first need to identify a really good question or formulate the problem in a really good way. So many exceptional creators throughout history have emphasized this, whether they're scientists or artists or entrepreneurs. They say, once you've 
identified the right problem, then the ideas and the answers are easy. Right? That, that's the easy part. The hard part is formulating the right questions. So I, I, I consider that to be the, the first step, and I put that in the first chapter. This, uh, sometimes psychologists call it problem finding. Finding the right problem is a huge part of creativity. And I, and I love um, my favorite uh, example, my favorite study of one of those actually came from one of your, um, one of your mentors, one of your professors, uh, Csikszentmihalyi, who did the study with artists and looking at uh, how do artists create a still life and gave them a bunch of different materials to pick from and found that some of them just kind of picked whatever and then spent all of their time trying to paint whatever materials they had picked, and others were really trying to find a problem and find what material, that what, what objects that I'm going to paint or what group of objects will make uh, that best painting. It's one of my favorite examples of that ask. But, I mean, it really is true. If you want a better answer, ask a better question, right? Right, exactly. And, yeah, that is a fascinating study that, you know, one thing I do in this book, ZigZag, is I do give some, you know, some interesting stories that emerged from the research laboratory. You know, it's not an academic book, and it's, uh, so I'm trying to tell the more compelling and interesting stories. But as, as you say, that's one of them. That uh, you know, this my professor Mike Csikszentmihalyi, he's a pretty famous guy who wrote a book called Flow: The Psychology of Optimal Experience, and uh, another book about creativity as well. So he did this research at the Art Institute of Chicago, the top art school in the country, and he was able to identify basically two different creative styles of these painters. And the, the painters who spent uh, all of their time experimenting and trying out new brushstrokes and <laughs> new, new ways of painting, uh, their painting kept changing every couple of minutes. Uh, he called those the problem-finding painters. And then this other group of painters where they basically they formed a composition and they, they did the outline on their canvas and then they spent the whole time just doing that painting. He called those the problem-solving types of painters because, in his view, they had identified the problem very early on, and they spent all of their energy solving that problem. The first type of painters spent all of their energy finding the problem. It turns out that these problem-finding painters were the most successful when he tracked them 13 years later after getting their MFA. All of the painters who were still painting professionally, all of them had been the problem finders in art school. A very high relationship between this approach to creative problems and successful creativity. Yeah, and I think it's an it's an awesome. I mean, we we uh, at Leader Lab tend to geek out on the research and find the studies uh, just as compelling. But I think that's one of uh, it's one of my favorites, especially um, on the importance of this this problem finding idea. Now, we hinted at it a bit when you talked about in, in, when you introed into the stages this idea of brainstorming, this idea of generating ideas, and these are some of the middle stages in the zigzag process involve that kind of think or ideate, come up with as many ideas. But what I really like about um, the the eight stages. In addition to that think, immediately afterwards, you have two other steps, fuse and choose. And I think people have this impression that when they brainstorm, it's just about kind of getting as many ideas as possible and then kind of just pick one. Talk a little bit about that relationship between the think, the fuse, and the choose and how all of those three sort of work together to help figure out at least uh, what some of the good ideas to pursue are. Sure. Well, you know, after the first four steps, which I call ask, learn, look, and play, 
is the fifth step I call think. And that's the one that most people associate with creativity. That's the one where you need to have ideas. And sure enough, you need to have as many ideas as possible. More ideas is better. That's a longstanding finding from creativity research. So after you've finished this fifth step, if you've done it well, you will have lots of ideas. Uh, but then the challenge is, well, you really can't pursue all of those ideas. Uh, and in many cases, the sixth step, which I call FUSE, uh, is a summary of this research into how often good ideas come from combining other ideas or combining concepts, combining existing material or developments. And those combinations that I, I refer to as FUSE, you can do that with your own ideas. So you're going to have, after thinking of lots of ideas, then, you know, in my exercises in the FUSE chapter of the book help you learn how to make these combinations in a way that is more likely to result in greater creativity. For example, there's a ton of psychological research that when you combine concepts that are more different from each other, more, we call them distant associations, uh, when you combine these uh, distant concepts with each other, you're more likely to get a surprising and original new idea. And we, so again, I draw on this laboratory research and I create a a bunch of these hands-on activities and exercises sort of get your mind used to working in that way because making these distant connections is, you know, at, first, at first it's not really natural. Uh, you know, you're combining things like a potato chip and a magazine. And, you know, quick, figure out ways that you could combine a potato chip and a magazine. Right? So it's not, it's not obvious, right? Uh, and then what I do with the seventh step, which I call choose, uh, at some point, I said, you, you know, you have to select one of these ideas that you're going to pursue and invest a little bit more energy in. Um, and how do you choose? Well, a, a lot of creativity researchers have pointed out the importance of this selection, or sometimes called the evaluation stage of the creative process. But what I feel is underemphasized is a huge part of that selection is actually editing, modifying, and refining. So you're not just picking something and sticking with it, but it might end up being something that at first doesn't seem like a great idea. So in Chapter 7, I have a lot of techniques where you can take ideas and sort of look at them in new ways and twist them around and revise them. And a lot of times they'll, they might turn out to actually become good ideas, although at first you couldn't see them as good ideas. Again, it's that zigzagging process, right, where that something that looks bad might turn out to be good, something that looks good might turn out to be not so good. Uh, and that's my goal is to provide techniques that can help you get through that process. And, and I think that's an interesting distinction, especially because at least in the business world, particularly the entrepreneurial set, uh, we are fascinated with this, these stories and these concepts of the pivots. So we started out as a company that was doing this, and now we're doing that. You look at, at places like... Um, I think we, we talked about it before, but we talk about places like Twitter. You talk about companies that um, started out doing one thing and realized that it was a whole other thing. I'm thinking even of, of things like Flickr and Instagram and all these tech companies that started out as one thing and sort of pivoted, which is kind of like what you're talking about. But really, you're talking about a, a process of almost ongoing pivots or ongoing refinement. Absolutely. It keeps going. <laughs> and I think that's true. Anybody who's on the inside of one of these successful startups or organizations or the inside of a successful creative process, when you're up close with it, you know. I mean, people who do it know this is the way it works. 
it's, there's constant twists and turns. There's a wandering, unfolding process. Sometimes I think of it as the, um, the uh, final idea or project emerging unpredictably from the process. So, uh, and this is the message, by the way, that you'll get in an art and design education if you go to an MFA program. They, they teach you a process, and they say, if you trust in the process and you execute through the process, you will come up with good ideas and you will generate good work. A lot of these professors at schools of art that I've been interviewing, they talk about deliberate creativity. That's our goal, is for our students to learn how to engage in deliberate creativity that consistently generates good work. And, you know, I think it's the same way what I'm trying to do with this book. If you understand the process and how to get through it, you know, then I think it's um, maybe it demystifies the process a little bit. Also, it helps you get through the frustration. If you expect, you know, if you expect that at the beginning you're already going to see the end, and, of course, you're not going to see the end because no one can at the beginning, so your natural inclination is just to get frustrated and maybe give up. But if you better understand that that's the way the process is, it's going to go through these twists and turns. It's going to be zigzagging. You just need to keep going and execute some of these techniques, and it will get you through that process. Uh, so in a sense, what I hope to do is to demystify that creative process and empower people. Hmm. And it, it's uh, one other thing I noticed that's interesting in the book and in your research is that it's when we talk about these processes, even even on some level looking at things like design thinking, although it's inherently a lot of times a group of designers working together, but we we have a tendency when we look at these creative processes to think of them as as what happens inside the mind of one person or one person's sort of process. And, and what I love about your background and your research is that a lot of it comes from this realm of, of collaboration. You know, you started out, and, and this is kind of where I want to talk a bit about, but about how um, improvisational jazz and even uh, comedy improv in places like Second City, th there are some amazing lessons there for how this um, creative process works and how this uh, zigzag process works. So let's, let's talk a bit about kind of what jazz can teach us about innovation, if we could call it that. <laughs> Exactly. And that is my, my first book, which came out in 2007. It's called Group Genius, The, the Creative Power of Collaboration. And uh, my, Most of my research I focused on group dynamics and group creativity. I myself am a jazz pianist, and that's a big part of the reason I chose to study improvisational groups when I started doctoral study uh, was to uh, because of my own experience as uh, being a part of these fascinating ensembles that generate unpredictable creativity that emerges really from the bottom up. There's no director and no leader. And uh, so in Group Genius, I, I basically focus on collaborative teams and teamwork and the role that teams play in generating creativity and innovation. And because of this experience of studying improvisation, basically uh, I was able to see that, or it led me to see all innovations as a result of an improvisational process and an improvisational collaborative process. So in a sense, when you see this new book, ZigZag, um, it's a, in a way it's another lens on an essentially improvisational process. Uh, but with ZigZag, I'm focusing on the creative individual, you know, mm -hmm. you personally and how you get through this process. But absolutely, I see the same thing at the group level. I see, uh, you know, unpredictable developments. I see uh, individuals proposing uh, ideas or solutions, and other people in the group pick them up and 
develop them and elaborate them and change them in a different direction. In a way, I think when you have the group, it becomes even more zigzaggy, if you will. If I can coin a word, more zigzaggy with more the group uh, than with the solitary individual. But So really with my first book, I've got it at the group level. With this new book, I'm focused on the individual level. But in both cases, I see a wandering improvisational process. Oh, I know, absolutely. And I think uh, even even in, you know, I, I obviously started in Red Group Genius first and, and loved it. And uh, and I think the zig- I see the zigzag process as working in groups, especially powerful as you get to the end of the process into things like step six and seven um, with fusing and fusing ideas. You know, there are a lot of exercises in how do you kind of combine seemingly unrelated things, but it works even better when you get multiple people running off and doing their own prototypes or their own ideas and coming back together. And the challenge as a group is how do we fuse them um, all of those sort of things. So I, I, I love that it's a, a process that kind of works on multiple levels. It, it describes what's going on kind of inside the individual, and it can also become a very good um, structured process, maybe for those of you that might be um, totally new to the idea of what improv kind of looks like uh, as it relates to creating something inside a business, this zigzag process is a, is a great one to be able to use and, and know that it's okay to not be working through a linear step one, two, three, but to be zigzaggy and to, to move around a bit through all of them. Um, and I love the book for that. I, I want to shift a little bit and talk a little less about the book and talk about you a bit. Um, what are you reading right now? A lot of what I've been doing lately is focusing on uh, how people learn to become artists and designers and architects. Uh, I had a sabbatical leave in 2010, and I was fortunate enough to live in the beautiful city of Savannah, Georgia, where I was a visiting professor at the Savannah College of Art and Design. And I had access to all of the studio classes and interviews with all of the professors, uh, and I became really fascinated with you know, how is it that you can design a structured curriculum with the goal of graduating someone in two years who who knows how to engage in this process of deliberate creativity. Uh, so I've read, I've been reading a lot about um, architectural pedagogy, <laughs> about design education, about uh, art school, the history of art schools, you know, going back to the Bauhaus, uh, where did our current studio model emerge from? So, you know, if you look on my desk now, of course I read all my colleagues' books about creativity. Uh, but I have, you know, a book here called Draw It With Your Eyes Closed, The Art of the Art Assignment. <laughs> the Art of the Art Assignment. Uh, I've got a really thick book here called Architecture School, Three Centuries of Educating Architects. Uh, so, yeah, these are the sorts of things I do uh, with my current research uh, you know, here's one, 101 Things to Learn in Art School. By the way, that's a fascinating book, short, fun, easy to read, by Kit mm. White, 101 Things to Learn in Art School. So it's a, it's a little bit of a shift in direction. You know, that's part of what drives me as a researcher is always learning new things. But, uh, you know, the connections are obvious with what I've been doing in the past. It's just more of a shift to education, perhaps, a shift to education and learning. Well, and I, I would say a timely shift. I know as, as the debate about, or not debate, but the discussion, as the discussion about innovation and creativity gets um, more and more frequent, one of the biggest things that comes up, and starting with, with folks like Sir Ken Robinson, but now a lot of people are talking about, how do you educate people to be more creative? And there's certainly something we can learn from that art school model that maybe we can apply you know, system-wide. 
in educating people through that process because certainly the factory uh, memorize and regurgitate system isn't really working uh, for that. So there's definitely some places we need to look for further answers. Yeah, and it's a lot of, I occupy a lot of that same space. So a lot of people who invite me in to give keynote talks are groups that have also had Ken Robinson in, uh, mm. who you know, is famous for having the most watched TED Talk in history, <laughs> I believe, according to HITS. Uh, and yeah, it's very much about schools and creativity. Uh, so that's so that's a, a part of, that's a part of what I'm doing these days is to try to uh, take all of this research and see if we can do something to transform schools to really be more suited for a 21st century world where uh, you can't just do the same job for 40 years anymore. Uh, we all need to creatively reinvent ourselves on a regular basis. Well, we will um, we'll be looking for the outcome of that process, uh, of that look process. It's kind of we're in our own zigzag process on how do we build that education function to be uh, more creative. In the meantime, though, um, I want to highly recommend this zigzag book. I love it as a, as a process, and I love that it's inherent in the process is that it's not zigzag. You get that even from looking at the cover, uh, which is an absolutely beautiful cover, by the way. It's a beautiful oh, read. It's a it's a really really well designed book. So whoever the designer behind that, they obviously went through a zigzag process too. Well, uh, but I in fact, the cover design was very much a zigzag process. I, we had five designs. Uh, I wasn't really happy with any of those, and I did a big poll online with my uh, followers, and then the publisher went to a freelancer and got four more new designs. And two of those were promising, and then I had people follow my blog vote on those. And of the two, the designer came up with further elaborations of those, and, and and that's how you end up with the cover we have now, very much as exact process. Yeah, and it's and it's worthwhile because it's a beautiful cover and a really solid read. Uh, can't recommend it enough. Zigzag: The Surprising Path to Greater Creativity. Uh, Keith, thank thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. 